this week we are talking about the just whoa, whoa, recently whoa, whoa. Hang run. On, hang on, that that's not how the podcast works. Oh, okay. It works like hello, welcome to Journey Through the Zero Cast, a Ultraman retrospective through the lens of Zero, where I am Garrett, and I'm Chris, and and uh, we Zero? watched Shin Ultraman this week. Yeah, Zero. He's like he's like. I won't say he's the decade of Ultraman because I feel like, I feel like there's a lot loaded and wrong with that statement, but Zero shows up a lot of places. Okay, so so Shin Ultraman just ran in U.S. theaters on a Fathom event thing, and before the movie started, they ran a quiz of Ultraman stuff that, to someone who is not extremely familiar with Ultraman, was just fucking impenetrable. One of my friends, like, <laughs> proceeded to get every single one wrong. <laughs> Which, like, shouldn't happen, st- like, statistically, but was still done. <laughs> uh, also, also, it was pretty impossible. It was it was because it was a lot of, um... Oh, what was it? Ultraman... Uh, uh, Ultra Galaxy say, Fight, or whatever. Yeah, they said it was, like, Big Galaxy Fight or something like that. And Ultra Galaxy Fight is, like, is super deep in Ultraman lore. From my understanding, it is... It appeared to be a culmination of, like, 40 years of Ultraman lore in a big, giant, like, Crisis on Infinite Earth-style crossover where all the yeah. Ultraman fight each other. And there's a lot of Zero in it, too. The joke goes full circle. Rachel hated the design of the Ultra Woman with the pigtails. She's like, that's terrible and I hate it. <laughs> that's that's fair. The other Ultra Woman they had in one of the questions was good, though. Uh, Gallia or Galador? Or oh, whatever. the one that was trained by uh, Mebius? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's from I think that's from Rube or R slash B. But yeah, anyway, this quiz is about incredibly lore deep shit of Ultraman shows that I knew fucking nothing about. So it was just constant names. Oh god, uh our favorite question was the one where it was like, which one of these Ultraman is not real? And it's Ultraman Scott, Ultraman. Dave, Ultraman. Uh, what were the others? Uh, Scott. Scott was real. Scott was real. Uh, there was another one that was just a regular dude's name. Um, I forget what I the think other... it was. Also real. Yeah, there was another guy who was just Ultraman, like George or something. And uh, then there was like a weird one, and I think the weird one was the one that wasn't real. The regular dude named Ultraman were they were totally real. Which Ultraman we... goes goes deep. There's there's like forty some years of it. There is a lot. Yes. Look in a, in an alternate universe, we'd be doing zero cast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I really enjoyed this movie. Like, I I thought this was a really really fun movie. I think it's pretty good. Um, I will just go out straight away and be like, it's no Shin Ultraman. Or not Shin Godzilla. I can speak words. I was going to say it's literally Shin Ultraman. <laughs> That's true. It is literally that. It's no Shin Godzilla. It's not trying to be as, like, real-world relevant as Shin Godzilla, which I, you know, appreciated, but it's much... It's based on more of a kid's property than Godzilla was, and, uh, you know... I think that was fine. That's fair. Me and Rachel were basically talking about it beforehand, and we were kind of thinking about, like, what the movie was going to be about. And it occurred to us that, like, since it's kind of about an alien 
fusing with the human and like whether you know humans uh what our relationship with you know this world of extraterrestrial superpowers is we were wondering like is this going to be thematically similar to man of steel which was theoretically about a, a superman showing up and not being trusted because you know he represents american exceptionalism and interventionism and the immigrant experience and those things are less trusted in modern American culture because we're more conservative and shitty now. And that's, there was an a- angle there for them to do that with Ultraman. And in a way that is a lot what the movie's about. Yeah, sure. I'm just like, I kind of like Man of Steel. It was, it was pretty okay. Eh, it's not a very good movie. There are parts of it I like, because I am a sucker for Superman stuff, but yeah, it's not good. Uh, it is the most Dragon Ball Z movie a, a movie has done. Michael Shannon as Zod was actually pretty amazing. That was pretty good. I, I don't even know if I'm talking about the same movie at this point. It probably was. It was the one with like Henry Cavill, and they did like fights and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Is that the one? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of like that one. I don't think Henry Cavill's a very compelling actor, but, you know, he seems like a nice guy, so... Man, that, that's a hot, hot take for this. So, like, don't like really? The Witcher. I, I feel I feel like that's, like, a not, like, common opinion. I Wait, hold on. For the I, I've seen a few episodes of The Witcher show, and it's okay, but I thought the whole point of casting Henry Cavill as that character is that he's, act, he's like, got deadened emotions and has a hard time expressing himself... Which is why Henry Cavill can do that, because, like, as an actor, he just doesn't... He's not really very expressive. No, he's just a huge Witcher nerd. Okay, well... And a Warhammer nerd, which is why there's, like, mysterious uh, 40k stuff in the works. (laughs) I thought it was just because his natural acting presence matched the weird emotional aloofness that I've heard is supposed to be core to the character of the witcher all right this is a weird conversation i was not expecting to have today well you know that's that's just that's why you do a show with me you know yeah to get your weird takes about how super metroid isn't good <laughs> i it's fine it's just not like special or anything uh, mm, mm. we can to agree f- to disagree to be fair i do need to play it again when I play, I, I played it I on an it. emulator and it doesn't control very well. And then when I tried it on the uh, the Switch Virtual Console, I was like, "Oh, actually, the character does move a lot smoother and control a lot better." Still not I, as good as like Metroid Fusion or Other M, but you know, I, Other M is not a good game. Other M is like a great game. That's like one no, of my favorites. D- disagree, disagree. Even taking the story stuff out of it, disagree. It's, I see. I really like the story stuff, and I think it plays really well. All right, we're, we're not having this conversation, and we're gonna talk about Ultraman. Talk about Shin Ultraman. It was in theaters. We're trying to get those SEO clicks. I think. I, I think that's what we're doing. Uh, theoretically, yes. Um. So yeah, it was in theaters. It was a Fathom event, as Fathom events do. That's they're the people that do the anime releases and stuff. I don't know if we need to keep saying their name. We're, they don't. They don't pay us. We don't need to advertise their thing. But they could, and then it's already baked in. That's true. We should call Fathom and be like, "Hey, 
You want to sponsor us? Yeah, here's like our like our twenty views a month, and like we we talked about how we appreciate you bringing stuff over. I enjoyed watching the Macross Frontier movies. I had a good time. Macross Frontier is really cool. Yeah. So, Shin Ultraman, a lot like it, kind of born out of the same impulse as Shin Godzilla, from my understanding. Not the exact same like corporate process i guess these projects came together separately but right they apparently were both pitched to uh hideaki Anno, and he like a- after he did shin godzilla he decided to take a somewhat similar approach of kind of doing a reboot slash encapsulation slash why is this a classic and a thing that we really value culturally thing for shin for ultraman in the same way that he did for godzilla Right, and we'll be doing so for Common Rider as well, whenever Shin Common Rider happens. Yes, presumably Common um, yeah, Rider's up soon. Also also to note for this one, though, um, Anno does have a lesser role in this one than he did in Shin Godzilla, which does explain stuff. some stuff. Like, he some co-directed things... Shin Godzilla, but he is not, he is not listed as, dir- as directing yeah, on this one. He's correct. just listed as writer. Yeah, but, this is this is more of like a Higuchi thing on the side of like the filming and everything. He and Shinji Higuchi have been close co-workers for like years though, so it's yeah. less to me this movie felt very much like what you would get if you asked the guy who made Shin Godzilla to make a movie about Ultraman. Like yeah. it actually feels very much at peace with that movie. There's that, but like you can definitely tell like there was le- there was no one kind of reining in some of Higuchi's things in this movie, such as, um, his weird ass camera angles. <gasps> oh yeah, there was one. There was one in there that I really liked. That we uh... was it the remote one. Um, no, the one I'm thinking of that I've literally never seen in a Japanese movie before, but I thought was really cool. Uh, the scene when when Mephiles bows to the prime minister. And the camera like goes under him and looks up at his face to show that he's kind he's being insincere in this deference. That I thought was really cool because I've literally never seen that camera angle in anything. And it did like a it was like a really fun character beat of this guy just being just a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. Like I I generally like Higuchi's like cinematography, but like it just felt like he did a lot more in this one. Like, there's a lot of weird POV from object shots. Oh, quite possibly, yeah. Also, the climax is, like, takes place with the Ultraman, like, the digital prop of Ultraman spinning back and forth across a black-and-white animated background that actually could have been created in the 1960s. So that's kind of amazing. Yeah. There's there's gonna be a bit when we get to the the end where i'm not i'm not sure where i fall on it but um i have some i have some last act issues well it uh <laughs> they do introduce a lot of shit pretty quickly at the end there so yeah, i think that's kind of the thing to start with this movie goes at like 80 miles per hour and does not stop right right it this is their their approach for this movie was basically not let's make an Ultraman movie. It's let's recreate the experience of a child getting into the first Ultraman show that just came out. 
Um, so basically when the movie starts, they give you an extremely brief rundown that there have been like seven kaiju that have showed up already. They've all been defeated by this team called the SCCC, I think. Is what uh, no, it's the SSSP. SSSP, yeah, the Super Science something S team. S-Class Species Suppression Protocol. Right, right, yes, them. Uh, I'm pretty sure they were called Super Science in the original show. Yeah, it was um, uh, the Super Science something. I'm not a big Ultraman fan. Please don't shame me on the internet. People who are Ultraman fans listening to this. Right. Uh, yeah, I am not a huge Ultraman fan. I am slightly aware of the character concept, and yeah, I, I knew enough to go into the this movie and understand what they were trying to do with it, but that was pretty much the extent of my knowledge about Ultraman. And that actually seemed like a pretty perfect way to approach the movie to me, because I ended up enjoying it a lot. Yeah, yeah. it's it's very much a, a, a retelling of, like, original Ultraman in, in kind of a modern lens. So basically, the yeah, several kaiju have been beaten by this team of uh, Japanese bureaucrat scientists already. This It's this team of four people that have been thrown together by the government that are basically given kind of unlimited operational authority to try anything they can think of to deal with these kaiju when they show up. And they it's worked several times at the beginning of the movie, but... <laughs> The, the sense that those are episodes that we don't get to see is like a really, is like a fun touch. Yeah, I mean, it also hints at like, kind of like backstory that's kind of, like, it. it's the classic trick of making, like, of filling out this world by just like, alluding to details and not having to show them. Right, 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 yeah. But uh, it's also very, it, it's very reminiscent of like, when you would come to like a comic book in the middle of a, a character arc or something or like picking it. Yeah. Like picking up a, a big crossover event and you're several chapters in and just kind of having to assume what happened before all this. Yeah. Fortunately, nothing super important seems to have happened before we join the story. So they are, they yeah. do cheat a little in that regard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's kind of just, um, they're, um, they they do all the stuff before Ultraman shows up, and then Ultraman shows up. Right. Yeah. As as the movie begins, Japan is being attacked repeatedly by kaiju. Um, no one knows where these things are coming from. They just keep showing up and fucking everything up. Apparently, they're only showing up in Japan, and the rest of the world is kind of like, your problem, we don't want to worry about it. So Japan is having kind of a serious problem dealing with uh, paying for all of these uh, it, this the issues that the kaiju are causing. The, yeah, there is a lot of weird things. Like, they play off the weird thing of just like, yeah, this is only happening in Japan. Isn't that weird? And then... There's, like, weird jabs about having to buy munitions from the U.S. and, like, having to deal with the U.N. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, like the idea is there. Um, nothing nothing comes of it. I thought the only, the, the most pointed thing, later in the movie, there's a bit where uh, one of the characters wants to make a deal with the aliens, and uh, someone on the SSSP says that, like, this gets them out of the, uh, it, it's like a way to work around the fact that they can't have military munitions because of the provision in their constitution that prohibits it that was created after World War II. 
and that's like a thing that conservative politicians want to get around and that's brought up as like a uh, people it's kind of brought up as like a people are always worried about this and it's kind of stupid to be worried about because like you know it, it's not a like we don't need to stockpile munitions because it's useless thing but that's like i thought the most pointed it ever gets in the movie right yeah i, I think it doesn't uh do as much as i could have and it's kind of just it's light on it i feel like it was kind of just thrown in there and doesn't super connect with everything well, yeah, I, I mean, in the in the interview before the movie where they have Higuchi talk about his process a little bit, he basically said they had a lot of opportunity to do stuff like that, but they kind of intentionally pulled back from it because that would just be making Shin Godzilla again. And right. They, they didn't really need to do that. Yeah, also that's, I mean, yeah, that kind of comes into like my tonal things with it too. That's more of like an ending thing. So basically where we start is we're at Monster 7-ish, I think, somewhere around there, 6 or 7. Yeah. Um, And they're going in to do their job. They fly in, they establish, they go like to the military encampment. Um, It's a monster that uh, can cloak and eats electricity. Yep. He's invisible, except when he eats electricity, then he stops being invisible. And they're like, well, that, why? That doesn't make any sense. But yeah, basically they they realize that they need to evacuate the little area they're in. Um, One member of the team, it's kind of the guy who, uh, he hasn't had a lot of lines, but he's kind of like the stoic one. The, yeah, he's kind of like the stoic operational guy. He basically runs out to save a kid who is trying to evacuate through the woods and got lost or something. Right. And and this is like the Ultraman setup. Yeah, yeah. I mean... I've never really watched an Ultraman thing, but it was pretty obvious to me that this is how the guy was going to become Ultraman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that That's not a secret. Yeah, I, they try to play it off as a secret, but it's not a secret. I mean, it's not real. Like, maybe if you were, like, a five-year-old, this would be a surprise to you. And there's not, you know, not, not dissing five-year-olds, but... Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, he he gets he essentially like grabs his kid, protects him from a uh, like the monster walks by and a bunch of debris falls in the area, and he basically gets hit on the back of the head by a piece of debris and killed essentially. Yeah. So so basically, what happens is there's another object identified that's coming down, and quote unquote like lands in this area, and that landing uh, uh, kills um, this guy Shinji um, Kaminaga. Right, yes, coming out. And uh, 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 this this thing is is said Ultraman, so he enters with murdering someone. Yeah, yeah, I yeah I forgot about that. Yeah, the landing of Ultraman kills Kaminaga. Um, the way Ultraman moves in this movie is so great. I freaking it's so good. Like, like the ult- the Ultraman CG design and like choreograph choreography choreographic choreography is outstanding yeah uh he he's basically like every time he has to fly he's just like kind of just it's hard to describe he just kind of like stiffly floats across the screen whenever he has to fly but it's very like low budget special effects without the low budget part right it's 
you can tell it's based on the idea that like they did this in the original version because it was low budget and this was the way they had to do it but also it just creates this really fun sense of something eerie and alien that doesn't have to obey physics in the way that things usually have to that it's from like some sort of world where it just doesn't it it gets to ignore the laws of our reality and that's like such a great visual bit it's very like uncanny valley in like the best way yeah yeah it uses the uncanny that is a that's a good way to put it yeah it's super great uh but yeah the ultraman shows up he uses the spacium beam which uh if you do not know he makes a little cross with his hands and out of the top of the cross a beam of dots shoots out of his hand at the monster and blows it up yeah, this monster gets wrecked. Like, the monster's, like, shooting, like, lasers and shit at him. Ultraman's just kind of standing there taking it. Yeah. Ultraman doesn't care. It's like, yeah. And then get spacium beamed. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's, and basically all of the character, it, well, and then he just flies off, and none of the characters know what the fuck just happened. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, he immediately loses, like, any any tracing or whatever they try to, like, follow him. Yeah, they can't follow him with radar or satellite tracking or anything, so. Um, it's also to note at this time, it, it isn't like the iconic like Ultraman design at this point. He's all silver then rather than having the red um, undertones or the red accents at this point. Yeah, the, the red is like part of him being more human, yeah. Right, it also... Um, it also kind of takes the form as, as the color timer in this film. They don't really ever directly... They don't really reference the color timer at all throughout the course of the film. Uh, no, not a name, um, but... So in the second encounter, they um, denote um, the color change, and then in the Mephilus fight, it is noted from Mephilus. Right, yeah, when his red accents fade to green. Yeah, so yeah, it, the, the accents fade and kind of... Um, replace the classic color timer scenario okay hold on correct me if i'm wrong here i thought the color timer was just a little blinky light that went off when his three minutes were almost up and he could only stay as ultraman for like three minutes i thought that was how this worked yes but it's for the same way that mephilis explains that like blah 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 earth something blah blah, blah ultraman can only maintain form and use power for so long yeah, yeah, he says, uh, yeah, he explains that, like, the atmosphere of the Earth drains the Ultraman power the longer you're in that form. Yeah, so, it, it's it's the color timer in all but name. Okay. Uh, um, okay. So the first fight happens, um, Shinji Kamanaga, who's now, who's now fused with Ultraman, um, comes back with saved little boy, and everybody's like, cool, good job. Okay, the best touch to this is that um, it's basically, like, the he is a, acting extremely weird at this point. Like, he has never interacted with people before. And all of his co-workers just act like that's normal for him. Yeah, it, like, it sounds like that he's, like, very, um, like, lone wolf on the team, so, like... Or, may- or maybe he's possibly just acts on the spectrum all the time. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Um, so kind of after this encounter, we're, we're introduced to our, our female lead with like this, this POV montage of her, 
coming into the office for her first day. Yes. Uh, yeah, this character is awesome. I really like her. Uh, she's very cool. Um, Her weird quirky thing is weird. What do you mean her weird quirky thing? The thing where she just like always grabs her ass and is like, all right, let's do the thing. Oh, that yeah, that she she like smacks her lower back and says, you know, let's get pumped up. It's her yeah. like I've seen other characters in Japanese things do this by smacking their cheeks. So I think that's supposed to be the joke is she she smacks her cheeks, but it's her, her ass cheeks. Yeah, and then like other team members ass cheeks as well. Yes, she does it to other people too. <laughs> I it's... thought it was funny, but it is weird the first time you see her do it. <laughs> It's weird every time she does it. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it is weird every time. Especially, like, some of the angles it's done with. Yeah, it's the first couple times that it happens, it looks like someone else just smacked her ass. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, she is brought in, who is supposed to be, like, the new partner of, um, of Kaminaga. What are they, like, they're... They're, like, intelligence people. Um... Right, she previously worked in, what, public security, which I'm guessing is the Japanese version of the CIA. Yeah, yeah, she was in public security. And then Kaminaga was police agency security. Yeah, yeah, so they're they're both, like, you know, public service, not military organizations, but military-adjacent organization, kind of. Yeah, so we have them, um, there's the chief, and then we got the two science nerds. Yeah, uh, the two science nerds are also great. Like, they don't get as much focus, but they're also, like, really... They're just really fun characters. Um, I I like one more than the other. The biologist or the physicist? Um, the biologist. Well, yeah, I mean, the the physicist is the one with an arc. The biologist is just, like, likable the whole time. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I I don't like Taki's arc. I don't think it's super good. What, that he learns to believe in people? It's it's just... It's a weird arc. It is it is unusual. I will I will give it that. Uh, it is slightly... It is a little different than I was expecting it to be, but I it worked the, for me. There's a lot of things where it could just be fixed if, like, if this wasn't so rushed and we weren't doing all the things. Yeah, well, you know, that's kind of... That, that's just the format of the movie. Uh, I mean, that's fair. Yeah, um, okay, so they describe Taki as an unparticle physicist. I don't know if that means he he focuses on things that aren't physics that isn't particle-based or doesn't think that particles are real. I don't know what unparticle physicist means. Right. Uh, and the Akari is the the other woman. She is a universal biologist. Oh, no, her, her name is Yumi. Akari is the, the actress. Oh, right, yeah. Yumi Funari, Funabari. Yeah, Yumi Funabari. Also, like, in, in, like, oh, Japan, you so silly. Um, Like, the first thing that, like, um, Asami comments to her is, like, wow, you did all this and you're married? Is she married? I don't remember that. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, um, Asami specifically brings it up and is, like, huh. wow, that's so, that's so cool that you're so good at your job and you're a housewife. I mean, actually, that is kind of impressive. Do we never see her husband and it's never referenced again, so... Yeah. I'm just kind of like gross Japan. Uh, I mean it is just it it's difficult to maintain a relationship when you have a really intensive job. That's true. You know. Mm. I don't yeah. I think you're looking at it more generously than I was. 
I don't remember the line exactly, so I don't remember how it was said, but, you know. The, it, it could definitely have been in a weird way that I don't, I uh, don't remember exactly. Um, yeah, so, so anyway, they're introduced, and then we start the buddy saga. <laughs> yeah, Kaminaga and Asami. Yeah, Asami's like what uh is basically trying to form a rapport with Kaminaga and yeah. She's uh basically trying to like fit herself into this workspace and um assumes that Kaminaga is going to be the primary person she's working with. Well, yeah, and that's like her assignment as well, but like it starts with this I, I'm pretty sure it's just a Japanese thing. I just do not understand the context for it where um, she specifically uses the word buddy for all of this interaction instead of partner and stuff. They subtitle it as partner, I think, occasionally. No, it is it is 100% subtitles as this buddy, but in the dub it is very inconsistent on which they use. Okay, I didn't I didn't see the dubbed version. I only saw the subtitled version. Occasionally they call each other partner, but yeah, a lot of the time she says buddy in English. Yeah. Um, and I'm, there's probably something there. Like if if I was a person that knew more, or maybe watched the anime Buddy Complex, I'd understand more. <laughs> I, I think it's just one of those things, you know. I think there's like a specific context to like that being used and stuff. The friend relationships are just sometimes slightly more formalized in Japan than they are regularly in America. You know, they've got the. Kohai senpai thing, then you know that that extends to like the workplace and stuff. I've seen a lot of stuff that like it's just you know you've got these names that kind of tell other people how you feel about them and how you want them to feel about you. So it's just a thing, right? I really yeah I really enjoy uh, As- Asami is a fun character. Like she seems cool, and, and it's kind of like uh, it's interesting through because it's not really clear over the course of the movie like if this is her genuine personality or if this is some sort of act she puts on because like she was basically a spy so but right. um it seems like she's just like this she she's just kind of like a an upbeat kind of an upbeat person who just tries to get engaged with other people emotionally so she's I like her yeah, she's cool yeah I think she is fine. We go pretty quickly from there into the next kaiju, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, we go into the next kaiju pretty quick, which is underground kaiju that is uh, very much like one of the earlier kaijus that that eats radioactive stuff. Uh, Gabora, I think, is uh, this one. Uh, yes, it is Gabora. Um, the first one is uh, Naronga. Yeah, Naronga. Yeah, this is the point when I realized that the movie was going to basically be like you were watching a series of episodes instead of, you know, just one continuous story like the like a movie. So it's kind of, it starts and stops a few times in a, a way that if you are, I don't know, it probably won't work for everyone, but as, you know, in getting what they were going for, I thought it was a pretty fun way to, to tell this story. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's it puts in like a lot of episodes into this movie, right? So uh, they spend a, little, a while on Gabora because like they he's basically a digging kaiju and is trying to attack a nuclear waste storage facility. They like call in some American bombers and try to drop bunker busters on him that do not seem to work at all, really. Yeah. Oh, also, 
kind of throughout this as well, after um, uh, Kaminaka is possessed, a lot of times you see him in, like, human form, you will see him flipping through books really quickly. Oh, yeah, yeah, he keeps, yeah, he just turns one page after the other. Not, like, at super speed, just at a rate that is faster than the human eye could possibly be reading those pages. Yeah. Which, like, I think that's a cool touch. Yeah, it's a good touch. Yeah, he's also acting pretty emotionally aloof at this point, and everyone, all of his co-workers are just treating it like that's a normal thing for him, so. Yeah. And like, Fun bit of characterization there. There's, like, a weird couple times where, like, him and Asami have, like, weird, like, moral debates about humanity as an entity. Yeah, I, I forget what she says, and he's like, ah, so humans are a, like, a pack species then, right? Yeah, it's, um, it's when he gets coffee for himself. Yeah, yeah, and she says, why didn't you get coffee for me, too? And it's like, you could do it yourself, right? She's like, well, yes, but... It would increase our camaraderie and make it, you know, it's just nice to do things for people. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Kaminaga is, is learning to appreciate humans in the as a B-plot. Correct. So, yeah, there's this new monster, and um, we get the best Ultraman attack in this movie when Ultraman shows up, which is just, like, the stand-in-place and do spin-flippy kicks. <laughs> that is a pretty good one, yeah it, It's 100% my favorite Ultraman thing in this movie The design for Gabora is kind of amazing in general, actually Like, this monster is so freaking cool Like, it, it's kind of like Anguirus from the Godzilla movies But also it's got, like, its head is made out of three bone drills That open up into this, like, kind of, like, crazy-looking face thing uh, It's a, a really intense design, I really liked it yeah, like, all the designs are very good. I feel like all, like, the CG monster stuff is just very good. Yep, yeah, it's generally pretty great. Uh, so, yeah, what's... Okay, yeah, so, so, so like, basically so... Ultraman can't use his Spatium Beam on this, because they don't know... The The characters are basically talking about how they think that if, they sh if he shoots him with Spatium, that it'll interact with his body's radioactivity and cause a massive explosion... That would be extremely bad. Um, and Ultraman just doesn't use his Spatium Beam, so they're like, wait a minute, does... The the characters start assuming that Ultraman either knows about human life or is protecting human life, or right. just knows that that would be a bad idea for well, some reason. There's also the thing where, like, um, Gabora, like, then starts to, like, shoot a beam and Ultraman chooses to kind of just tank it rather than let it hit the nuclear facility. Right, yeah, yeah, he doesn't dodge, he just... Prevents the beam from destroying the the waste storage. And then, like, after he defeats the monster, he takes the monster away, which there was conversations about, like, how when the radioactive monster was there, it was a huge big deal to try to deal with the aftermath of it because of said radioactivity. Yeah, a fun reference to, like, Shin Godzilla and uh, Pacific Rim a little bit, where the, the, that was kind of a plot point. Yeah, and then, like, it kind it kind of starts... Yeah, they did it in Ava too, so... <laughs> yeah, it also kind of just sets up, like, the... Like, Ult Ultraman kind of looks over at the team, and Asami's like, I understand what's going on here. Yeah, he he, he does clearly look at them in a, a way that they're like, oh, so he isn't... He isn't some sort of aloof god being or something. Right. So, yeah, he flies this monster off into space, 
And uh, basically after this, there's a YouTube video that shows up of Kaminaga transforming into Ultraman. So No, that is not yet. Uh, are you sure? No, because that is Zerub stuff. And, and Zerub and uh, 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 Maleficent stuff. Yeah, Zerub shows up. Zerub shows up first. Um, I fucking love Zerub. Zerub is an amazing villain, and the Zerub's fact that he's good. like he's like there's two more villains after this guy, basically. <laughs> I mean, honestly, at least two. Yeah, I mean, there's two primary villains after this guy, and but Zerub is amazing. He's essentially the bottom half of a leech. And when I say the bottom half, I mean, like, he looks like if a computer was rendering a leech and didn't render the top half. Uh, and he can he has a giant form, but he spends most of the time in a tiny form. And he wears a little trench coat and top hat. Well, it's not a top hat. It's like a fedora type thing. He wears a trench coat and a fedora and is extremely obviously an alien. And it's great. I really loved it. Yeah, he, he is very good. Yeah, he's so so cool. Yeah, he, he appears to the SSSP first because, uh, yeah, he, he shows up, he fries all their computers, and they're like, oh my god, we didn't have any backups. Oh, it's the best thing where um, <laughs> where uh, Yumi the biologist just gets really pissed and starts cursing and they bleep it out <laughs> that, um, that they didn't have redundancy. Yeah, yeah, they've apparently been ordered not to have redundant files because uh, this stuff is too secret. So this guy shows up with an EMP pulse and destroys every all of their computer technology and, and uh, yeah, all their equipment. And then is like, hey, sorry about that. Uh, I'm an alien, and Ultraman's also an alien, and yeah, I just want to help you guys deal with this situation. Uh, and then he does fix their computers, so he he gets on their good side that way. Yeah, he's like, yeah. Um, luckily for you, I can fix this, but I can't teach you to do so because, like, this is just being a cool alien. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I don't know. I can't tell you how to do it. It's just part of my biology biology that allows me to do it. So uh, anyway, I want to talk to your prime minister, dude. So then, like, here starts the the aliens try to. Try to politics part one of two. Yeah, at, at this point, I kind of thought this was going to be the rest of the movie, honestly. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because Zarab shows up and, like, he's pretty serious. Like, he's, uh, like, he, he has apparently, a, like, unlimited techno control over just all electronics. And, uh, he creates, like, a giant, um, fa- like, hologram of Ultraman that starts breaking shit. And it's like, oh man, Ultraman sucks. He's breaking shit. Oh, can't trust Ultraman. Yeah, it's pretty good. So like, he sets up like the oh man, can't trust Ultraman while trying to make, cut a deal with the Japanese government. I forget what he's trying to get the government to give him. Uh, pretty much just like, just like he's in charge more or less. Yeah, yeah. Basically, just making him in charge of things. And uh, then the Japanese government is like, well, I mean, hell yeah, we don't want point- anybody else to have that. The Japanese, get, uh, the uh, prime minister, I think, brings up that if anyone else knew that they were negotiating with an alien without telling anyone else, they would probably get seriously nuked. So that's pretty. That's a serious situation. <laughs> right. Um. So that starts to happen, and immediately the like the the team is like, "That's not Ultraman." Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're um at least um what Taki and the biologist aren't entirely sure, but yeah. 
the spy lady is 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 like that's definitely not Ultraman. Yeah, it, there is a lot of just like the SSSP is just always right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, they're the part of the bureaucracy we see that gets names and faces and personalities. So, yeah, but even when like the rest of the government is like, but no, they're like, no, 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 no. But yeah, so Zarab spends uh, he he's uh, spends a while going around and doing stuff. Um, eventually, he he basically kidnaps Kam- like Kaminaga uh, after Ultraman is after everyone thinks that Ultraman is evil and stuff. Kaminaga kind of runs off, and uh, yeah, basically, he starts to set up like he's preparing to get captured. Yeah, he, he he's like trying he's trying to set up a contingency plan for how to deal with Zarab because Zarab has already gotten into infiltrated the government basically. Um so basically what happens, yeah, Zarab kidnaps Kaminaga out of his car uh and like sticks him in an underground bunker and then releases a video onto the internet. Yeah, th- I thought this happened earlier in the movie, but yeah, he releases a a YouTube video that shows Kaminaga turning into Ultraman. Right. Uh, which is a pretty cool transformation, actually. But yeah, so Ultraman's identity's out. That I thought that was going to be a secret until the end of the movie, but no, we move faster than that. Yeah, no, yeah, we're going 80 miles per hour. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's this kind of elaborate thing where, like, Kaminaga um, stuck his beta capsule in a thing to give to Asami, and then he, like, set up another thing with one of... Um, Kaminaga's previous co-workers in security um, to get that all set up. And then... Yeah, and his beta capsule is... A, it looks like a Men in Black neuralizer, but it it's just like a little remote he pulls out and pushes yeah. a button on to turn into Ultraman. I mean, I mean, it's, it's just the Ultraman beta capsule. It's much like the original device, kind of just slightly updated. Oh, this isn't a new lore element? I, I didn't actually no, know if this, this was is, new or not. Here, let me... So, like, this is... I'm going to show you this image of just, like, the original beta capsule, and you're just going to be like, oh, it's just that. <laughs> it it does... It's very smooth and alien in a cool way. It's not all white, so it doesn't look like a piece of current future technology. Yeah, I mean, but, like, it's... It's basically the same thing, Chris. Yeah, kind of. It's got, like, red and clear and glowy parts, so it, it looks cool. I understand that the new one looks cooler, but, like, this is not a new Ultraman thing. It's a beta capsule. Oh, I, I mean, I believe you. So, yeah, uh, Asami f- gets the beta capsule and essentially figures out where uh, Zarab uh, has stored Kaminaga. Yeah, because um, Kaminaga has, like, set up invisible ink that he was leaving a trace with when he was kidnapped. Right, yeah. So she goes to where he is, gives him back his beta capsule, and is like, Hey, uh, why didn't you trust me with the truth before this point? I, I, I want to back up real quick. I know this movie goes fast, but we can't skim over the best scene where Asami takes a chainsaw to that door to open it. <laughs> that was pretty amazing, yeah. <laughs> And then, like, she walks in, and Ultraman's just like, this is unexpected. <laughs> it's very good. I very much like it. Yeah, it, it's a good sequence. But yeah, she she does, like, slap him at this point and be like, hey, why why have you been hiding things from me? That's not cool. You're supposed to be my partner, my buddy. And then he's like, yeah, I mean, I left you with, with the transformation device. 
And he's like, yeah, I, that's why I trust you to solve, trusted you to solve this problem that I'm in right now. She's like, oh, okay. I guess that's fair. She's like, touche. Now, <laughs> now, now can you go beat that guy up? So she gives him the beta box. He turns into Ultraman. Beta capsule. The box is separate. Oh, right, right. Yeah, the beta box has not shown up yet. <laughs> yeah, the beta capsule. Uh, he turns into Ultraman and goes to fight Zarab. Zarab now turns into his huge form that is a half-rendered leech. I yeah. freaking love this design. Yeah, it's a real sick fight. And then he gets cut in half, and it's sick. He, uh, he like, tries kidnapping, or he, like, grabs um, Asami at one point and is, like, kind of holding her as a hostage and, uh, like, threatens to, to kill her if Ultraman doesn't, like, depower and stuff. Um, and, and basically Ultraman, like, kicks her a mile into the air out of his hand. It, it, uh, it's a pretty cool shot. It's actually really great, because there's a shot of her just floating up like, oh, I might have made a huge mistake. <laughs> yeah, but Ultraman catches her and she's fine, so. Yeah, but then he gets cut in half and it's sick. He does the thing where he, like, folds his arms in and then, like, does a, a forward chop with his hand and shoots a buzzsaw laser thing. It's very cool. Yeah, <laughs> this is a classic Ultraman move. I know This is, like, one of his two classic things. And yeah, That's true. He, yeah, and it cuts Zarab in half. Yeah, Zarab tries to block it with the, his cool electrical manipulation powers. He like he like holds his hand out and is like, and it forms these like air polyhedrons made out of electromagnetism. It's pretty cool. It like Zarab has a great visual design. Yeah, and like he's able to block to block like the beam at first too with those, which is cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good stuff, but yeah, Zareb gets cut in half, and now everyone has to deal with the fact that they know what's going on with uh, Kaminaga and Ultraman. Yeah, but then, but then, like, before we can really sit with that, we're just like, and now, big lady. Yeah, and then, but before we can, yeah, yeah, we are immediately shoved into um, the secondary plotline of Asami is now a giant woman stomping through Tokyo. Uh, the other characters are all like, uh, she doesn't look like she's awake, honestly. Like, her eyes are kind of dead and not really looking at anything. <laughs> so, basically, this is... Uh, this goes on for a little bit, but this is the introduction of our th our third... Vi or, what, I guess our second major villain, Mephilus. Right. Who's basically the movie's big bad, but he's not the final boss. But he is an evil capitalist, so he was my favorite villain. <laughs> That's true. Um, it's it's a very interesting arc. I like I like some of the stuff it plays with very well. Yeah, I, I assumed Mephilus was gonna be the big bad until the end of the movie. Uh again, <laughs> because I didn't learn my lesson from the previous one. <laughs> but uh yeah. This guy is pretty cool. Uh First off, we, we deal with the giant lady plotline. Um, essentially, she like stomps around Tokyo for a little while and then stops as she's about to kick over a building and a big voice is like, Hey, I did this to show that humans can turn into giants and be super strong, just like Ultraman. So, you know, everyone needs to be aware that that's a technological thing that can happen. So you need to, you know, be ready for that. Yeah, there's like a, this is like the humans are bioweapon arc. 
yes, yeah, human, yeah, humans apparently because of our biology in this universe can be turned into some sort of biological weapon. Which is, I get, I guess that's what allows Ultraman to use Kaminaga's body to uh, be Ultraman himself in this in the movie. Yeah, maybe. Like it, it's it's been kind of unclear. It's a little unclear on if it's the same technology, but it kind of seems like it. Right. But yeah, he uh, he lets uh, like he Asami kind of falls over and and she's giant, but she just kind of like lays down, and all of the characters are trying to figure out how to make her not giant. I I love the techno babble in this sequence because they're like, uh, she doesn't really have a biology anymore. She's just one giant block of uniform matter, <laughs> and yeah, uh, it's really interesting. Yeah, she she doesn't have like distinct parts of her biological systems anymore. She's just a a giant block of weird alien stuff that looks like the same person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is just, which is a pretty a pretty fun little bit. Uh, she she stays that way for a while until so all the scientists try to get samples of her and they like no one can cut even like a cell or even a tiny hair off of her. Just every every part of her body is super, basically. Um, after a while, she shrinks down and is like, what the fuck was just happening? Yeah, she was like hypnotized during this segment. She had, she did not know any of this stuff happened. Uh, so she wakes up and is like, oh my god, there are pictures of the, on the internet of me as a giant. This is so embarrassing. I hate this. Yeah, they, they do some pretty funny stuff with that. It's a pretty good bit. It's a pretty good bit. Um, in order to show that Mephilus is a super, super powered alien, he shows up, he actually deletes pictures off of the internet so that she is not, uh, there are not pictures on the internet of her anymore. Correct. Uh, does th- does that happen after he shows up when they're in, like, the, the tiny whiteboard room on the roof in that one sequence? Um, I do not recall. That's a good question. Yeah, but anyway, there's this bit. They're in the this tiny whiteboard room trying to figure out what's going on with uh, with Asami being giant, and they're like pitching around different ideas and trying to figure out what exactly is going on. Yeah, Kaminaga, I think, hasn't really rejoined the team yet at this point because he's kind of on the run because everyone knows he's Ultraman now, so he's kind of just out there lying low. Yeah, so yeah, Asami is kidnapped. Um, oh yeah, and then Melthus kind of speaks in the ether and is like, look at all this cool stuff. And then he turns her back, demonstrating good faith. And then he shows up, he shows the beta box. Yes, yeah. I, and I, lo- I love this touch. He negotiates like a human. He says, I did this to show what I can do. And now I am returning the situation to show you that I am negotiating in good faith. And he keeps saying, and he ha- he keeps saying, like uh, in Rome, do as the Romans do. That's one of my favorite sayings. He keeps he keeps like citing sayings and being like, that's one of my favorite sayings. Like, he's very intentionally trying to seem human. Yeah, yeah, he does like this very human stuff, which is fun. Uh, he's a great villain. I really like him. Um, yeah, basically. So th- this goes on for a while. He basically makes a deal with the Japanese government to... Because once people figure out that humans can be these giant these uh, giant weapon things, 
everyone's going to need to get these beta boxes in order to not be under threat from everyone else. This is when the, the like nuclear deterrence thing metaphor comes in where the characters are like, look, if everyone has this, aren't it like, we're all just going to destroy the world with giant people. This is stupid. Why would we do this? But yeah, the governments all want to do it because they can't think in any philosophy other than deterrence. Uh, Mephiles essentially finds Kaminaga eventually and uh, has a conversation with him. He finds him on a like a playground first, I think, before they go and get they they go to a like a an izakaya. Yeah, they go to an izakaya. Uh, after that, but basically he's explaining to Ultraman what the plan is that like he woke up the the uh, kaiju and a lot of the stuff that had been happening was basically his plan. Uh, he was basically trying to get the world into the situation where they would feel powerless. Uh, and Ultraman showing up was part of this plan. So he was trying to get people to feel powerless so that they would agree to his terms, which is essentially to worship him as a god, from my understanding. And so, and he will give them the technology to, uh, you know, these, this beta box technology to kind of take the next step in, in uh, human evolution. And Ultraman uh, pretty strongly objects to this. He's like, um, look, they, they can do this on their own. They don't need they don't need aliens to intervene in their development. And uh, yeah, just the idea of someone with super the idea of someone with superior power lording it over other people is just uh, a, he objects to that in a way that is seems to be really unusual for aliens. Like, all the other characters talk about having, like, might-making right just being the natural way of the universe. And Ultraman objects to that. And that's true. Like, all the aliens treat him as if he's extremely unusual for that. Yeah, yeah, this is, like, kind of where it starts to get to, like, the core of what the movie wants to wants to say, more or less. Yeah, I, I really like... I, I thought this was a pretty strong theme, Yeah. Because he's basically saying, like, there's value in humans' ability to care about each other and live in this community that is that form that, um, it, it just has like a kind of resilience and love for each other without needing they don't need to be strong in the way that we do to survive, that they can just be happy without needing to be strong in the same way. Um, yeah, it's a pretty, it's a really interesting take on the character, and this is kind of what I was talking about when I was saying that, like, this is basically a good version of the Man of Steel story. Like, he is an alien. He's actually way more alien than Superman is. Like, he came into the movie with a, with, like, a totally alien perspective, did not understand what human life was like at all, but desperately wants to protect the human way of life and the our ability to exist yeah whereas whereas kind of mephilis kind of just wants to be supreme being yeah he he his plan is to basically use the beta box technology to extract um any resources he can from earth including just taking humans to apparently drop them as weapons on other planets in order to get to threaten people so yeah he is he's a pretty directly a war profiteer and it's not really subtle the, yeah. they they're pretty obvious about the fact that he is a evil capitalist war profiteer dude 
Um, but yeah, uh, eventually, like, he, he basically is about to sign a treaty with the Japanese government after he has this meeting with Ultraman in order to hand over the beta box. And so that, yeah, the, so that they agree to that. Uh, basically, the SSSP shows up and steals the beta box with yeah, the help of Ultraman. Yeah, there's a scene before this where Ultraman shows up and he's like, we need to steal this box. And then they're like, but where's this box? And then um, it turns out that, like, okay, so so stay with me on this one, Chris, but I think it's a good metaphor. Um, the way that Ultraman and people get giant is not unlike the Z-Space in Animorphs, where there's just this alternate <laughs> dimension where st- where matter exists. Right, yeah. Uh, th- yeah, this is the first time in the movie they bring up the Plonk Brain Space, is what they call it. And, like... Tell me it's not the Z-Space from Animorphs. Tell me, it's Chris. pretty similar to Z-Space, yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is a magic alien technology that uses a theoretical dimension where math, like, creates matter and energy. Yeah, it's like, it's like, it's like techno bag of folding. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and, and this is where Ultraman stores his alien body when he's not using it, and... Uh, this is where people can pull energy from in order to be giant. But yeah, so like, so to find the beta box, they need to have similar particles. And because Asami was made giant with the beta box, um, Ultraman can sniff her to then be able to know where the beta box is in this block space. Which, which is actually how smell works. You absorb residual particles into your your olfactory sensors so yeah yeah that's fine it's still a weird kink thing <laughs> it is weird and the characters treat it like it's weird that he, that him sniffing her to figure out where this box is everyone's like this is a really weird thing to do well and then there's like the thing where sami's like yeah sorry i haven't had time to shower <laughs> yeah she's been busy she hasn't hadn't had time to go take a shower yet so yeah th- there's there's some weird kink stuff. Uh, but yeah, they take the beta box. Uh, the SSSP holds onto it in, an, in a helicopter for a little while. Mephilus gets all freaked out and is like, well, fine then. We're just going to fight. And so he turns into a giant, fights Ultraman. Yeah, because like, yeah, because like they set it up and like one of the guys there is like the liaison for the SSSP. And like he knew this whole thing was go- happening. So like he was kind of like smirking when things started to go bad for Mephilus. It was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. Ultraman yeah, he, shows he, up. He like he's eats a kind the of box. implied to be. He's implied to be the chief's boss, basically. Yeah. Well, then like Ultraman like grabs the box. He does like a backhanded throw without looking, and then like the rest of the team in like a cargo helicopter catch the box. It's very cool. Yeah. And then and then like the greatest fake out of this movie happens. <laughs> what, what do you mean? It's just how this next scene concludes. Oh, with uh. That Mephilus and Ultraman fight for a while until he sees the gold Ultraman in the background. Yeah, until Zafi just shows up, and then he's like, oh shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so like, let me set this scene. So, like, Mephilus is like, alright, it's time It's time to fight. So, like, they go to, like, this abandoned, like, factory setting. And, like, they're standing there. This, like, this, like fighting game, this, like, Guilty Gear-ass music starts coming in. Everybody's <laughs> getting pumped. Um... And then, like, they do the thing where they're standing close, and they both jump back and get into a fighting stance. And they start doing cool fight stuff. And then they're, like, shooting their beams. And then Ultraman's beam's getting weaker, and he's changing colors. 
and Malfoy's like, oh yeah, ha ha ha, color timer shenanigans. And then just like off to the side, it like zooms in on this other Ultraman figure. And then Mephilus is immediately like, all right, I'm leaving now, bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he just sees another Ultraman and is like, oh shit. Because um, apparently, uh, this is like, I kind of love the touch here because basically by seeing another Ultraman shows up, show up, he, he understands that because there there's some sort of international intergalactic space treaty that's sort of like the prime directive but dictates like what you can do with lower species and i, I guess and ultraman is from something called the star of light which is some sort of intergalactic it's the peacekeeping land of, organ- land of light i thought they called it star of light but whatever. no it was land of light um and yeah this is this is where we get to my problems yeah uh, there's some sort of intergalactic peacekeeping organization that enforces the terms of this treaty, or maybe, I, I don't know if they're the only people that do this or what, but basically they're kind of, uh, they actually are extremely, th- this is was very reminiscent of old Doctor Who to me. It felt a lot like they're Time Lords, and they have all these rules that we only get to hear like little parts of. And yeah, uh, I, I guess because of the fact that Ultraman has acted in the interests of human society without their express permission as a society. Like, I, like since he opposed the Japanese government in favoring the SSSP, he has, like, broken the rules somehow. And they had to send out another Ultraman dude to, to uh, give a second opinion on the situation. So this so Zophie shows up and Mephilus knows that since this guy shows up he they, they all know that humans can be used as these giant bioweapons and that is extremely bad apparently it is extremely dangerous for the universe as a whole and Zophie basically has decided that uh he uh, it's he, he he says that he's going to blow up the planet, basically. And Mephilus acts like he knew that this is going was going to happen. He says that basically as soon as Zophie showed up, he that he basically knew that this was the way things were gonna go down. So I'm guessing the land of light like this is a known policy by them or something. <laughs> because none of the characters seem surprised that he makes this decision. Yeah, and I, I, I don't I don't, I don't like, I don't like this take. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I did get the impression that this is a pretty explicitly revisionist take on the Land of Light. Uh, they, they are, in the old version of Ultraman continuity, they're basically angels, right? Like, they're super good, and they, they just are magical heaven people that go around and try and protect everyone, right? Like, they never do anything bad. Like, yeah, so like... And again, I'm not like super versed in this, but um so my kind of like giant understanding or what I think an Ultraman story should be is um it it should be based in like hope and like uh positivity and that like Ultramans are like the ideal paladin figure in like the best way possible. And so yeah. like the land of light being like we're okay genociding this one race doesn't sit well with me. Right, uh, and Zofi Zofi's argument is basically if we do not do that, then 
the beta technology is going to be applied, uh, the humans are going to use it, or someone else is going to use it on humans, and that power is going to just cause massive suffering across the universe. Is basically his argument why that they just need to shut down the uh, humanity as a concern right now. Yeah, so like... Yeah, that's just kind of the biggest thing. Like, based on like what I think Ultraman should be, I think, I think this is a weird take, and I do not like it. I could see that being a problem, but uh, this honestly didn't bother me. Like, if I'm being honest, everything I've heard about Ultraman as a property, I've always thought the idea of the Land of Light kind of makes it seem like it's a little difficult for there to be stakes in the setting. Like if there's a if there's a planet a super planet of like good angels out there that just solve all problems, it, it does seem like it's kind of difficult for anything bad to happen. Yeah, I I suppose. I I don't know. Like this isn't even necessarily contradicting that. It's just saying that they're they're philo- they have a might makes right philosophy in a similar way. They do genuinely want things to be good overall. But they have a very utilitarian definition of that, of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, and in this situation, they consider humanity to be the few. Yeah, I don't know. Just, like, when I picture, like, Ultraman, Ultraman would, in my mind, fight for the one regardless still. Right. Well, I mean, that's what he... That's what... I, I meant, like, the Land of Light as a whole. But I, I I know it's getting confused when I say Ultraman in that case. <laughs> yeah, that that's kind of the the twist that this movie takes is that our Ultraman, the Earth Ultraman, um, because he is fused with a human, has a greater and broader understanding of morality and like what it mean, what the worth of an individual life is, in a way that none of the other extraterrestrials seem to have. Right, yeah, they they use this thing, and I think it's in the interviews as well, where they try to say that um, that because Ultraman is both a human and an Ultraman, he exists in this space in the middle where he's able to see things differently than both sides. Right, yeah. They use some fancy phrase for it, I can't remember it off the top of my head. Um, like, like, in the middle, like, some invisible things become clear or something of that nature. Right, yeah, and and this is why like he's not he's not beholden to the uh, he's not beholden to the powerful aliens in the same way that humans are, and that they see them as supernatural godlike beings. But he's also values the ability of the individual to um, you know j- just to be worthwhile in a way that the aliens don't value. So. He 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 merges the values of both groups is kind of the central theme here, right? And I could definitely see. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I feel like I, I'm trying to remember a time this happened in something else where I was like, I get how it might make long term fans mad, but I think it works in this one story. But it, it's definitely that sort of thing where, like, yeah, if you're a long term fan and you're coming into this expecting the lore to be the same, and they turn like this planet of good guys into kind of this planet of weird moral absolutist utilitarians like yeah i could see that being annoying to a long-term fan i mean it's not even necessarily lore that is the issue it's just like but just kind of like how it was set up like like the moral of it being different 
is odd to me when I see Ultraman as, like, this very, like, hopeful and, like, just, like, unequivocally good force. Right. I think I, I see what you're saying. Like, in... Like, the sense I get from Ultraman in general as a property is kind of that there are good there are good and bad forces in the universe, but the good always outweighs the bad. Like, the good is always... Like, the, the nature of the universe is to care about the people inside of it, and the Ultraman are kind of, like, just this force that, yes, they are opposed by the negative forces in the universe sometimes, but they are stronger than them, and they right. will eventually overcome them. Well, it's not even necessarily that, but just kind of, like, they have, like, the unequivocally, like, right and good decision to things. Right. I mean, it, like, I, I don't know if that's even, like, a thing that the movie doesn't agree with. Like, I'm not sure if Zophie's, like, wrong. Like, they might not be wrong. <laughs> like, this, like, maybe his argument is going, is true in a way. That... I mean, maybe. I guess, I guess this is just a more, like, personal how you take it. But to me, that felt very on Ultraman Land of Light-esque. I would not right. think for that take. And I would not necessarily have a traditional Ultraman story to, to take. And, like, I understand it's trying to be a reimagining sure and stuff. They, they intended it to intentionally be a revisionist take on the Land of Light. That, like, it's it's intentionally different. I understand that. I, I don't know if it was needed, though. No, I, I mean, I'm... I, I was I was saying that to agree with you that yeah, that like, yes like that I I'm pretty sure that you're you're saying that it's it is different like I think yeah. the movie makes it pretty clear that yes they intended for it to be different and this to be the main thing that sets this it's the main question that this version of the story is asking that is the reason they made it as Shin Ultraman yeah I, yeah it, it's just like it it feels very current zeitgeist of like things. Well, right. Well, we okay. We haven't gotten into the whole conclusion yet. Basically, I mean, the thing that makes this not the the reason that I thought this was like a pretty good conclusion to me, at least, was um, basically the way the rest of the movie plays out. Zophie explains what everything that has happened up until this point. Says he's going to use this giant weapons platform, uh, Zeton. Yeah, he says he's going to use Zeton to just eradicate this arm of the galaxy, basically, so that there's no chance of humanity causing problems for everyone else in the universe. And Ultraman um, is basically argues with him, like, do not do that. That is super horrible. That, like, humanity is worth more, is worth enough that they deserve to live, even if they are potentially dangerous. Well, yeah, Zophie does not agree. He sets up the giant nuclear bomb analog in this in space. Uh, Ultraman tries to go up and and blow it up. He uh, fails. He fails at doing that. He he like fights it for a while, but then the thing shoots him out of the sky, and he gets super fucked up. Uh, it is extremely sick, though. It is very cool, but yeah, he he does not succeed at fighting the nuclear bomb analog. Like Zetime looks really cool. The fight's really cool. Ultraman does like the shield thing. It's super cool. Right. This is the all is lost moment. Every uh, The characters in the SSSP are basically like, uh, the government has decided not to tell anyone that we're all about to blow up. So, 
Uh, let's just sit around and wait for the end of the world, basically. Um, yeah, so basically, after a little bit, the the characters are sitting around in the SSSP trying to talk about how they're emotionally dealing with this situation. And the uh, and this is where Taki's arc kind of comes into focus. He's just like, well, you know, I guess things were always going this way as soon as fucking godlike powerful aliens showed up on the planet i yeah, guess Taki never really kind of like a chance Taki like takes the thing of like well clearly this is past us so like fuck it it's not worth trying yeah he he starts drinking <laughs> yeah it is just like well i guess we're fucked nothing you can do about this one um and uh essentially after like he, he gets um pretty depressed until the biologist before Ultraman goes to fight Zaton, he leaves, like, a flash drive in, like, his spot. Right, yeah. Uh, and, yeah, Yumi specifically sees him leave this flash drive on his desk, but does not... She doesn't look at it for some reason until uh, Taki is super depressed, and she's like, look, I don't think... Uh, I don't think Kaminaga believed that we were doomed to die. Yeah, uh, well, check, out that, also... check out that flash drive. He's also, like... <laughs> yeah, she's also, like, I don't think ultraman like thinks of us as like lesser than him right yeah yeah she says yeah she she's like he he doesn't think of himself as a god so um yeah basically on this flash drive he has essentially left a uh, an explanation for how the beta technology works yeah so it brings in like this interesting thing of it it is not giving humans the beta technology that itself it is giving humans the theory behind it and for them to be able to choose what to do with it right at, at this point as soon as they opened up the flash drive and saw the uh the beta like the theory behind the beta system i assumed that they were all that they were going to create a beta box turn everyone into giants and they were going to like punch the giant space a bomb <laughs> but that is not the direction that the movie goes no that is not what happened <laughs> Uh, that is the end of that. That is the end of like World War Three, a Grant Morrison comic uh storyline in the Justice League, where everyone gets superpowers. But that is not how they do it in in Shin Ultraman. Okay. <laughs> Instead, Taki has a big conference with ev with other phys with like other theoretical physicists on the planet, and they basically figure out that if you time it exactly right, you can use the beta technology to essentially shunt the in the okay not infinite but nearly infinite amount of in energy that zeton is going to use to blow up the earth into the same alternative space that ultraman draws his power from yeah, yeah you you do the you you open the bag of holding inside another bag of holding yeah so they they basically are like okay we need we need kaminaga to wake up and fly up there and uses beta beta capsule in order to take the explosion into the Planck brain space, and that is how they're going to avoid everyone blowing up. Yep, it, it's pretty dramatic. Like the they they don't actually explain all that before it happens. They kind of explain it as it's happening, you know, so it's dramatic. They do like the cool timer countdown. It's like a very cool like scene. Yeah, it, it's a great. It's a very dramatically effective scene. Um, yeah. And so basically, th this is the part at the, I was talking about at the beginning where 
basically the Ultraman takes the the explosion into the Planck brain space, and the Planck brain space is like made out of black and white smeary animation that is extremely retro but looks really cool. And the the energy forms basically a black hole that doesn't kill him, but does nearly kill him. Right. Uh, yeah, and that's uh, so. Earth is safe. That's yeah, Earth is kind safe. of the conclusion. And like, um, yeah, he he kind of ends up in this weird state in the uh, the block space place. And what's really good is it's just like a three D render reimagination copy of the original Ultraman title screen. Like, like good touch. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, also during the sequence, I think is when they use the classic Ultraman transformation when he yes, pushes they, the they do Beta use... Castle button. Yeah, that, that's also very good. Um, and then Sophie shows up, and he's like, it, "It's amazing that I was able to find you here. It was like your will of being okay with dying and like saving humans, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Yeah, yeah. It's essentially, Sophie shows up, and this is kind of the second to last scene of the movie. Kind of the kind of the real conclusion. Yeah, he basically has a like a philosophical debate with Ultraman about, um, you know, like, look, okay, so you sacrificed yourself to prevent the Zeton from working. I didn't. No one knew that was even theoretically possible. So maybe there's something to these humans that you have been arguing about that I hadn't occur hadn't occurred to me. Um, but he's and he's like, but I've I've still got to take you back, and you have to stand trial for what you've done, essentially, right. for and... for breaking the the intergalactic treaty. And Ultraman is like, no, these people need a protector. They need someone to look out for them on an ongoing basis. Um, and I I would like to be that person. And Sophie's like, look, I would love to do that, but that that can't happen. So Ultraman essentially is like, okay, here's what you're going to do. Separate the dude from me, send him back to Earth, and I'll just die. And then everyone will be satisfied. And we'll just let the SSSP deal with problems that come up later on. And Sophie is like, okay, that's that's fine, I guess. Um, it's really weird that you're willing to die. No, that's that's very weird for our, our culture. Yeah, that's a, that's a weird human thing. Yeah, like that. the The willingness to die is also the, he has this line where he's like, "The willingness to die is also the desire to live." Yeah, that's he just says like that's a very human feeling in a way. And uh, yeah, the, he and then basically the the very last shot is um, Kaminaga gets thrown back down onto the planet and wakes up on a roof, and the rest of the SSSP stay are looking at him. Uh, the camera's from his perspective, and they all say, you know, hey, welcome back. And they, that's that's credits. Yep. Decent movie out of ten. Good movie out of ten, even. I really liked it. I thought it was really cool. Uh, yeah, I kind of knew that the... You know, I, I kind of figured that the, the Land of Light being weird moral absolutist thing was uh, going to be annoying to some people. I thought that might be what you were talking about when you said you had some minor objections. It's me. I'm I'm the lore people having minor. It's not even lore though. Like it's it's. I I want and I guess pop probably unfairly expect Ultraman to be like unequivocally good. So when they didn't do it, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, I get what you're saying, but also 
part I, I just really like the the whole theme of you know we don't we don't need a god we don't need a monster we don't need a we don't need a superhero like we're good enough on our own like that's I, very that, that was I very mean, uplifting in a way that's that's a fine thing to have but i feel i feel like they could have had both there yeah yeah it would have been interesting if they had shown like Zofi decide to like take over Ultraman's position as like guard of Earth or whatever. But yeah, they didn't do that. Maybe maybe that'll be the sequel or whatever. Well, they said like that's like when he first showed up. That's what Zofi said his role was was he was the replacement to take over as Watcher of Earth. Yeah. Oh, we never meant that. We never mentioned that he's like made out of gold too. So he he's even got like more of an angelic look to him than Ultraman does. But yeah. Um. Yeah, I I uh I was super into this. I as a reimagining of the concept for a new audience, it worked for me. Uh Rachel enjoyed it a lot. She said she thought it was really fun. Um yeah, I I would strongly recommend if you didn't get the chance to go see it this week, pick it up on Blu-ray or find some way to watch it. Yeah, it's worth watching. Um Yeah, it's good. I like it. It is no <laughs> masterpiece that is Shin Godzilla, but few things can be uh yeah i mean you know uh, it even if i were to like knock it a little bit i would say it's like hitting a home run versus hitting a triple so yeah, I, I i very recently fallen on just like the shin godzilla is my favorite movie in existence right now it is a super good movie yeah did you ever watch a uh, singular point on netflix uh no i need to still that is a wild ass show I feel like not a lot of people watched it, but it was really wild. I've heard nothing but good things about Singular Point. I liked it. it. In a way, it was kind of like, it was a little self-indulgent in a weird way, but I don't know. I enjoyed it. <laughs> I don't know if it's for everyone, but it was a fun show for me. That's fair. Uh, anywho, um, podcast on the internet, uh, com. Yeah, There's we links. could probably talk about the themes more, but I think Garrett needs to go to sleep. I mean, we're already getting close to the runtime of the movie itself. Are we? Yeah. Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like Shin Ultraman's just like a, just like a tight two hours, which like it feels wrong saying that, but yeah, it, it just everything the movie does is like it it. it it feels like every choice they make, they do it with like a wink and a nod at the audience. Like it really seemed like Shinji Higuchi kind of knows that he's making this for like an audience who will appreciate his, his cute references and stuff, right. which I don't know if everyone will, but I did. Yeah. Like overall, I like it. I just have my one like ideological difference with it. Other than that, like it's a very good film. You know, they made the Time Lords evil, too. I actually heard that some old Doctor Who fans were really mad about that. <laughs> so, you know, I guess it's not the first time that someone's done this. Anyone who was upset by that wasn't paying attention in the old series is all I'm going to say as someone who grew up watching reruns on PBS. That's fair. I guess it is very Doctor Who, too, but that that's a conversation for another time. Yeah, but okay. I stopped you from outroing, so go go ahead, go to your. All right, yeah. Um, We're a podcast on the internet at journeythroughdeckcast.com, where there's links to all of the things. Um, you can rate and review us on any of the things. Um, there's Twitters, but Twitter's bad, so meh. Uh, yeah. Twitter doesn't even have like a show latest tweets option anymore, so it's getting worse. Yeah, and like 
personally not even like a mastodon person so kind of like eh, short form social media is dead to me yeah i made a mastodon but i haven't used it at all so who even uh, knows what social media is anymore yeah um and hopefully like if if you all believe in your heart of hearts and send us your energy um we'll be back with blade believe in ultraman yeah um that's all i got i don't have i don't have a catchy sign off <laughs> thing uh space yeah yeah okay spacium beam yeah there you go yeah you'll just have yeah. to live with that one cool yeah sick <laughs> element 115 oh yeah we didn't even talk about how they predicted like uh like spacium is element like 138 or something like that i think wasn't it just maybe it was 138 i thought it was 115 for some reason no we we already have an element 115 it was it was further out than the periodic table currently is okay that's fair but uh yeah it wasn't that far in the future so theoretically in the next 20 years Someone could hit that atomic number and actually call it Spacium. It was 133. My bad. Yeah, we're not at 133 yet, but it's possible we could get there in our lifetimes. And I would not be terribly surprised if a scientist named it Spacium. Yeah, scientists are fucking nerds. They are nerds, yeah. They're huge nerds. <laughs> okay, well, let's right. stop for now. Yeah, I'm not going to stop on this now. <laughs>